Welcome to Max Volume, where we deliver loud taste, soothing decibels. I am your host, Maxwell Lewis Sanders, and this is episode 46. So for those new listeners out there, Max Volume is a podcast that worships at the altar of pop culture, a place where the silly and inane are of the utmost importance. It's a pod where we discuss heavy topics like Brad Pitt's six-pack definition variation from film to film, how to enjoy Twin Peaks while simultaneously not understanding any of it, and why the anime section of Kill Bill is the best seven minutes and 17 seconds of the Tarantino double feature. No quote too minor, no plot too small. This is a pod for the TV geeks and movie freaks. So welcome all weary travelers. Your boredom ends here. So before we delve into the topic at hand, let's start with five minutes of Seinfeld-level daily observations. So I was sitting on my couch yesterday, and this couch is kind of a mess. So the back cushions have been sewn back together about six times with, uh, you know, with thread. Not by me, obviously, because I'm about as handy as a potato. I just have no functionality as that. So thank you, Selena. You sew my life together, both romantically and literally. Uh-huh. And like I said before, if I was born in, before the modern industrial age, industrial age, I would have been destitute or dead by 18 because I have no handy skills. So I'm glad I'm very glad I get to exist in this, in this era. So this couch has been covered with bed sheets to cover ripped cushions, loose strings of fabric that need to be trimmed daily with like pruning scissors. I mean, it's basically like I have a garden, but inside, but it's made of fabric. And it's because I have two monster dogs, uh, they love nothing more than just flopping their 100-plus-pound frame, Chris Farley style, on or around the couch area. And this is my third couch in two years. And you think it would drive me crazy at this point, but I really actually enjoy it. It's kind of my broken, comfy toy that is uniquely mine and theirs. So, yes, I have to structurally set up pillows to protect the seams from ripping. And yes, only one corner of the couch is both comfy and safe to like lounge on. But it's pretty funny and it makes me laugh all the time. And I just enjoy this Frankenstein uh, couch of mine. So, I mean, plus I'm rarely reclining during this pandemic. I probably lay on the couch an hour or two a day because I've taken my lack of understanding of the word moderation and applied it to the Apple Watch goals, which I've achieved now 93 days in a row. Yeah, pretty good, right? Yeah, it just fires me up. So I even moved all my pantry food downstairs. So every day uh, I have to go down and move as much as possible if I want to eat. Or I, I move everything. I keep everything as far away as possible. So I have to do them the maximum amount of steps to and from places. And I take like two one-hour walks with the dogs every day. So I'm just trying to, I'm trying to, I want to hit those goals. And there's nothing, there's really nothing better than applying yourself and your obsessiveness to nonsensical endeavors. I think that's what makes us human, what separates us from the animals. You know, it's not all about survival. It's just about focusing on something silly and inane, like I say before in my uh, canned opener. And, you know, much, much, I like adding that obsessiveness to my uh, podcast, which at times, this can be frustrating. I want 100,000 listeners, and I want them yesterday. I think of uh, Andy Bernard in, uh, in the office when he's, he's just a trust fund kid, and they're doing something not that hard at work. And he goes, this is the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life. And then he pauses and goes, I haven't had a very hard life. And that's how I feel. I feel for Andy. <laughs> so before I go negative Nancy on all this stuff, I have to remind myself that I've churned out 46 of these babies and I have no computer expertise. I have zero clue how to edit or engineer files, audio files. And 
generally I kind of have a lack of self-confidence that usually blocks me from putting content uh, out into the world. If anyone followed my Facebook from back in the day and you'd be like, man, he posts a lot. That's like one tenth of what I thought. I just, the other nine, I was wondering if I was going to get negative reactions. So I didn't post it. So that's how much I want to put out there. And then the self-confidence or lack thereof kind of reels it back. So I guess yay for inching forward uh, with this podcast and going towards lofty goals of uh, you know, a billion dollar podcast with millions of listeners. So one day, one day. So that was that was a little deeper than my usual um, musings. Uh, usually I do, you know, strange eating habits, lack of responsibility, and kind of just the life as a 34-year-old man child. But so let's get back to let's get back to that. Let's go back to a world where the stakes are low and the dialogue is usually laughable. I'm talking high school movies. These are coming of age movies, getting invited to the party movies, winning the big game, talking to the popular girl, unforgettable misadventures with your best friends, and these are just tight 90-minute stories we all love. And I'm trying to think why we love them though, cuz I think 95% of people hated high school. I couldn't talk to a girl in high school if it if the world depended on it. I honestly couldn't. I would just stutter, stammer, not make eye contact. I'd probably pass out if it actually happened. So, and when I try to rack my brain for high school memories, I get bits and pieces of dull nights out uh, outside of convenience stores and aimlessly driving around. And AOL is the messenger, I think. That's pretty much it. So I suppose, I guess, the voyeurism is the appeal of these high school movies because it's the excitement of these youthful hijinks. And it's kind of alluring to think what you would do with popularity or relevance or danger or in a, or lack of inhibition. If you were in these kind of crazy movie script scenarios, you know, it's a fun, it's not that far off from reality where you can imagine yourself being the characters and then you can relate and then attach to the characters, I guess. I guess that's the trick of high school movies. It's like, it's a little unattainable, but it's also something you did. So you're like, what would I do in that situation? So I think it's the same thing in prison movies where you're like, how would I act in jail? Or like, would I beat up that guy? Or would I be someone's, you know, someone's wife? <laughs> I mean, th- I mean, that's what I do with every prison movie. I'm like, I judge the person by what I would do in jail. But I think that's what high school movies have too, in a very different way. <laughs> but, uh, you know, watching, watching these movies is just, it's just endlessly fun. It's just watch, you get to watch these kind of self-aggrandizing little snots do emotional backflips over popularity. And they talk about first love, like it's, you know, the biggest deal in the world. And it's just fun. Mind, it's a fun, mindless exercise. And it's not a Ken Burns documentary. It's not a Darren, Ar- Darren Aronofsky film. It's an emotional trip to McDonald's. It's, com- it's comforting. It's fake. It's meaningless. It's delicious comfort food for our most shallow wants to be popular or cool in high school. So let's get into it. So number five, I went, what, did I say it was top five? Or I was just saying, uh, top high school movies i'm going top five because ranking stuff i mean you ever been to the website ranker they have it down like they rank everything and it's just this nice you can see it in one screen and you can upvote or downvote i don't want why do we love ranking things so much it's just fun so that's why i'm i I do a bunch of ranking because i find on like espn clips or on podcasts in general when you say top five i could care less what it is i'm like hmm, i'm gonna get in there i want to see what the the first one is, I want to see them argue about two and three. The top fives work for me, so that's what I'm going with. So number five, I'm doing 1998's Can't Hardly Wait. It's one of the best in-one-day scenarios for a high school movie. It's the big party after graduation. That just nails it. I mean, I think the other ones are 
prom are pretty good. Like, I mean, for one day scenarios, prom, the big game. Uh, but I mean, no, the big party after graduation is the best though, because there's no pressure of the clicks from school. They're just gone. Everyone is overly emotional about leaving, like all they know. Craziness ensues, you know, risks are take, taken. And this, felt, this movie felt like it could be anywhere in America. It was just, you know, suburban USA. And they had a giant rotating cast, which is another great high school movie staple. You need four to seven stereotypical characters who can grow during the film duration. That's what you need. Because I don't think anyone's, there's not anyone who's, depth is that great in a high school movie that you want to watch them for the entire 90 minutes. So you got an underdog kind of semi-cool guy pining over the prom queen who was Jennifer Love Hewitt, who is, was, and will always be the perfect it girl in high school movies. I mean, that haircut, just the way she looks in general, you know, she wears a skirt, but it's like classy, but, and that, they do like the slow pan where she like kind of flips her hair. I don't know. She's just, she's just, uh, She's just perfect for this role. And I, I don't I don't imagine her as anything else. I think she's just the girl from Can't Hardly Wait. I know she's been in some like bad TV shows. And there was one decent movie with her and Sigourney, Sigourney Weaver where they were grifters. But it was like, it was just a garbage movie. This is the movie she's defined as. And you got Seth Green, who's just the white kid who wants to be black, kind of shedding his fake skin in front of the obnoxious, strong female character he was friends with when he was younger. And they form an odd bond. That's always a, a high school movie staple, too. Two people from different cliques realizing that they like each other. There's a football captain realizing his best days are behind him. And he's the best line ever, too. He's insulting his girlfriend. And he's drunk in front of everyone. Her name's Amanda. And he just goes, Amanda. <laughs> and he thinks he's so cool. And everyone's like, oh, man, you suck. And I don't know. I think me and my friend said Amanda like all the time. There was a nerd who became king for a day. He's, he's got the best line in the whole movie, I think. Uh, he's never drank a beer in his life. And he takes a sip of beer and he just, you know, spit takes it out. And he's like, don't drink the beer. The beer has gone bad. And, you know, just the nerdiest thing ever. But uh, God, and then he, he, he gets a taste for it and becomes cool. So it hits all the tropes, does it humorously. Not much conflict, light on its feet. And the, uh, the soundtrack's pretty like mid, late 90s. Uh, you know, just popular music, just love it. Uh, and they play the song Damn It by Blink 182, which is one of the top five joyous, kind of angsty teen pop punk songs of all time. And I, I probably listen to that song at least once every two days or so. It just it never gets old, it's like Wonderwall, you could listen to it forever. And you can see where the movie's going from a mile away, and it doesn't matter, it's delightful. And you know, I mean. Sometimes sometimes it doesn't matter how you get there. It matters how well it's done. And this movie's well done. This is as good as you can get as a stereotypical high school movie. So thank you. So number four, kind of same vein, but done better. Uh, this was Days and Confused. This is uh, Richard Linklater's uh, movie about the last day of high school in Texas in 1976. Linklater also did Before Sunrise, Boyhood, uh, Scanner Darkly, Waking Life. He's a really profound director. And this is his high school movie. And first of all, it's the best soundtrack ever. I think they spent like 30% of their budget on the soundtrack alone. So it's got Alice Cooper, Ted Nugent, Foghat, Deep Purple, Leonard Skinner, Kiss, Black Sabbath. And you just instantly get the 70s, you know, too cool for school kind of vibe. And that, you know, everyone's just angsting to get out and just have a good time. It's got badass muscle cars. Everyone's got awesome cars. I mean, I wanted to, I'm not a car guy, but after this, I like looked into like classic cars. Get a 71 Chevelle, see how that looks. 
And you got seniors hazing freshmen. You got football dreams. You got getting high for no reason. Water tower parties. All these different cliques interacting. It's got a loaded cast, too. It's got Cole Haas, who's the redhead dude from Goodwill Hunting. He's, he's on my favorite line ever, too. He's like, it's good engine, Will. It's good engine. I just love I He's just a good Boston guy. It's weird that he's playing a Texas dude in this movie, but it, but it works as a football jock kind of guy. And you got Ben Affleck, too, as the meathead senior. Love that. You got Matthew McConaughey's first role ever. And he wasn't even supposed to be in the movie. He was just around the uh, set. And they were just like, you look like you should be a star. So they just kind of just let him do his thing. And, he, you know, he's got the all right, all right, all right kind of vibe to him. And, you know, that 70s hair. And he's just gloriously tan. And it's just, I mean, seeing McConaughey in his first role was jarring. And he's fantastic in this movie. I think he's probably like the third lead. And Richard Linklater does these classic movies where you like everyone. It's a huge cast, and there's no real central character. I guess there's uh, Floyd, you know, the main quarterback. But, I mean, he's forgettable. You just you root for everyone in this movie. It's, there's no real conflicts. There's no real problems. It's just this perfect feel-good joyride of a movie. So, I mean, like I said, it's basically can't hardly wait, but done better and with a cooler time, time period. Like, you know, it's a timepiece. So number three, this one should have been higher in the qualifications of great movies, but I'm not classifying it really as a high school movie because it's too removed from the school itself. There's no siren song of popularity. There's nothing about clicks. There's nothing about, there's no real conflict between major people in a school. It doesn't feel like a high school movie to me, but it's so freaking good that I had to put it on the list. I'm doing 1986 Ferris Bueller's Day Off. So first of all, Ferris is the coolest, most unique high school creation of all time. I love that you can't define what constitutes his charisma, but he has that kind of grifter charm. You're not sure. You, you can feel like he's taking your wallet, but you're okay with it. You're just like, this guy's just going to charm the pants off everyone around him, and I don't know why. Because he doesn't seem to be an athlete or a rebel or a good student. He's solely getting by on his intrinsic ability to be universally liked by everybody. That's no small feat to pull off at any age. And, you know, at high, in uh, high school, and everyone from the teachers to everyone in every kind of clique to everyone in the town, everyone just loves Ferris. And all those Save Ferris, you know, T-shirts and support, it's great. And plus, you got him breaking the fourth wall and commonly talking to the audience the whole time. And that added a new depth of awesomeness to him that he knew he was in a movie. And, I mean, I just love the final scene after the credits roll when he's in uh, his, his uh, robe with a towel over his head and he just looks out of his bathroom. He's like, go home. It's over. <laughs> like, that's just iconic. I just love it. I think they redid it in Deadpool too. I mean, it's just, you could redo that in every movie and I'd watch it. I mean, any movie could end like that. You could do Saving Private Ryan where the ghost of Tom Hanks did that at the end of the movie and I would applaud. <laughs> it'd, be a, it'd be an interesting choice. <laughs> Schindler's List, have Liam Nielsen do that after the credits roll. See how that, see how that works. <laughs> Uh, I mean, because there's nothing more fun than watching someone who can get away with anything at any time. And Ferris is that guy. He's just, you know, the ultimate. He's skipping school. He's borrowing a Ferrari. He's grifting his way to a free lunch at a famous fancy restaurant in Chicago with the whole Abe Foreman uh, bit. He's singing on a freaking parade float in a leopard print vest in the middle of Chicago. And he's dating an equally it quality girl in Sloan. I don't, what happened to the actress who was Sloan? I mean, like, she should have been big. She was like Julia Roberts' stop-in-the-street beautiful kind of vibe to her. I mean, Sloan was all-time. What, what happened to her? Huh. I'll have to look that up. 
Yeah, because she was, and she seemed like a good actress too. And you get this whole coming of age arc too from his neurotic buddy Cameron, played by Alan Ruck, who was 27 at the time, which is kind of crazy. And that's the cool thing about the movie. Like I was a Cameron, you know, neurotic, uh, unsure of myself, uh, you know what I mean? Like always self-doubting, never really wanted to do anything. And you want to be Ferris, but you are a Cameron. And that's how the movie kind of entices all levels of popularity with their peculiar friendship, which makes that's the question too. How are, how are Cameron and uh, how are Cameron and Ferris friends? I guess I mean it's the same thing as how are Mikey and Swingers and uh, Trent friends. Trent Trent and Ferris are just like the coolest guys on the face of the earth. And why do they sit hang around with these kind of wet mop sad sacks? You know, I don't I just don't get it. But I mean that's that's the fun of the movie. And you know, I think everyone. I think everyone's seen this movie, and I just think everyone loves it. So that's why it's number three. So like I said, it's not really a high school movie. I didn't, don't think I really described high school at all in, in that movie. Except maybe when, you know, Cameron uh, has to deal with his dad at the end after destroying the Ferrari. But I'm also most curious, how pissed would the dad be about the Ferrari? Because it's like a 1960, it was like a 1962 Ferrari or something. I mean, I think Cameron might be dead. <laughs> And so number two, I had to go with a modern uh, Shakespeare adaptation because there's a ton of them, and this is the best of them. And this was the adaptation of The Taming of the Shrew. This was 1999's 10 Things I Hate About You. So it's simple plot, nerdy guy, Cameron, played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt, wants to date a popular girl, Bianca, who I don't know the actress's name, but she played Alex Mack on Nickelodeon show, which if you don't know, Alex Mack was a teenage girl that got covered in like radioactive waste or something. And then she could turn into like slime puddle and she had electric hands and stuff like that. And she wore a backwards hat and it was like the most Nickelodeon show of all time. And it was awesome. And everyone had a crush on her. She was awesome. And so she can't date anyone till her man hating intense sister, Kat played by Julia Stiles uh, starts dating somebody. So he, so uh, Cameron hires a ringer, Patrick, played by Dreamboat Mode, Rebellious Metal Shop, Chainsmoking, Heath Ledger. And this is this might be Heath Ledger's third best role. I'd go Joker, Brokeback, this. I mean, it's just him being like the cool kind of rebellious, drinking beer in high school, clearly abusive family, but he became like a bully himself kind of thing. It just it's just a great role for him. He just he never he didn't play the cool guy as much as he should have. He should have played roles like this up until he was like twenty 425 and I would have watched him he's got this kind of Johnny Lawrence kind of Johnny Lawrence with like a high heart of gold kind of thing that's what I want to call him so I mean the first half of the movie's light fun silly very formulaic and there's even a very 90s band Sixpence None the Richer performing on the top of the high school for no reason no one ever explains why they're just doing it I'm like all right cool but the second half of the movie has some serious emotional drop kicks that you just don't see coming Heath Ledger singing You're Just Too Good to Be True to Cat at Soccer Practice over the PA system while simultaneously running from security is an all-time just heart swoon scene. I don't care if you're straight, you're gay, trans, you know, whatever. I mean, Heath Ledger in that moment will make your heart just melt like butter. I mean, that's just, and he's embarrassing himself and doing like the high kicks, like can-can kicks. And he, I think he slaps the security guard in the butt as he's chasing by, as he's running by him. The security guard is like, Sadly overweight, so you can always kind of just run circles around him. Everyone's laughing, but in a kind of, uh, oh, this is cute kind of way. And it's just great. And we all know the other scene that this movie uh, is known for when Kat discovers 
Heath was paid to go out with her. She delivers this soul-wrenching uh, poem in class about how she now love-hates him. The title of the poem, aptly named, 10 Things I Hate About You. And it rips your beating heart out, basically. It's just simultaneously kicks you in the nuts. And by the end of the end of the poem, she's crying. And she's like, but I don't really hate you. Not even a little bit. Not even at all. And fun fact, the crying was improvised by Julia Stiles. So everyone's uh, reaction to that was kind of natural. Like Heath Ledger kind of just, you can see him being crushed. That's actually, I think, his reaction because no one expected her to cry. And this was done in one take. I love the fact, I mean, I don't care if they're true, not, but when they say they were done in one take, that always fires me up. Like Ben Affleck's speech to uh, uh, Matt Damon and Goodwill Hunting, the one takeness of that amplifies it. So when you tell me it's one, if you want to fire me up about something, just make it up. Just say it was done in one take and uh, my ears will perk up and my tail will wag. And also random fact about this movie, Andrew Keegan, who's kind of a popular douche in the movie. He's been, a, he was a popular douche in a lot of high school movies. He now runs a cult. So good for him. Or, I mean, I don't, I don't know what kind of cult. I mean, I hope it's a hippy dippy harmless cult, but cults are really harmless. So hopefully it's not, hopefully no one died or anything like that, but I could see him being a cult leader. He's got that kind of slick grease ball kind of look to him that people want to follow. So, number one, easiest pick of my entire life. There's no doubts, no qualms, no questions, nothing. It's 2004's Mean Girls, and it's above all others, far above. It's, you know, looking down. It's on top of the Statue of Liberty, and we're waving down on Ellis Island. That's what it is. So, it's about a new girl in town, uh, Katie Heron, and it's played to perfection by Lindsay Lohan. And, God, I mean, it makes me sad that we never got the true non-broken, non- uh, chaotic career for Lindsay Lohan because this movie she has something I'll talk about it in a sec but uh, she infiltrates the popular group in school called the Plastics to destroy them from within but she becomes enamored with popularity as we all do and she you know kind of almost falls in love with the, the ringleader Regina George and a cute boy named Aaron so what makes this movie unique it sounds kind of similar to most movies in the teenage realm so KDB's what I like about this movie is Katie was homeschooled in Africa before she came to this school. So she kind of compares high school to the jungle, which is kind of, it's very apt and very smart. And I like someone coming into high school, having no idea about the social cues and culture and kind of assessing it in an animalistic way. She has has these really good monologues about how kind of the jungle is pretty much the perfect parallel for high school. And this moronic uh, school popularity is kind of, you know, the animal kingdoms fight for survival. And this movie, oddly too, is more point blank and fast and furious than it is high school because it's, you're trying to get in close to what those in power, but you accidentally fall for the charismatic leaders. It just, it it felt a little bit more deep than most uh, high school romps. And really smart, quippy dialogue. I think Tina Fey wrote this movie, uh, and it's based on a book, so had a really good uh, basis. And Rachel McAdams as Regina is both mesmerizing and terrifying. That is a girl that has the world wrapped around her finger. And we all knew some girl in high school, college, everyday life that is that, you know, who knows that they're playing with you and know that they can manipulate situations to their will. And, <laughs> I mean, she does that to a T. And like I said, this is Lohan's best performance. She's likable. She's innocent. She's smart. She's that raspy, unique voice that kind of just is solely uh, associated with her. And she just had something very unique. And, you know, from Parent Trap, this, 
I wonder what her adult career would have been like if it hadn't been sidelined by all her kind of chaotic real world stuff. It just makes me sad. It makes me bummed out. It's like her and Amanda Bynes. Like if they could have been, maybe if they like, what if they were best friends and they were just sober and, you know, just happy. Now that, that's a world I want to be in. Maybe there's another reality where that happens. You know what I mean? There's multi-dimensions and there's one where they both have Oscars. I, I want, I want to see that. And the fun, the best thing about this movie too is they realized how kind of dumb high school movies are, and they just decided to make the drama wild and over the top. Just go for it. So rather than you know a typical fight between two girls or a fight between two guys, they have the entire school uh, riot and fight, basically like animals in the jungle. They even put like animal noises in. Uh, when it comes to light, there's this journal called the Burn Book that insults everybody, which is actually they're really funny insults too. I hate to say it like that, but it's really funny. And at the end, Regina being hit by a bus uh, was just the catalyst for change in the school. I mean, so not only was it jarring and hilarious, you're like, oh my God, like they hit a high school girl with a bus. That's how they're going to end this movie. And, but I mean, she survived. I mean, if you haven't seen the movie, don't worry. And, but it kind of grounds the sad reality that our positions and clicks in life are so ingrained that it would take something that dramatic that someone you know that everyone knew gotten hit by a bus that could shake up the ecosystem of a high school and i just thought that was a very interesting take on how how to how to have characters change and develop and there was a lot of good characters in this movie too like her loser friends are well formed well formed and fun uh there's like a math nerd i like the teachers are really funny uh the principal's really good too i think the teachers and the principal are all snl alums who have good dialogue too Amy Poehler is the cool mom and that's really fun. <laughs> you know, just randomly like, Oh shoot, there's, there's Amy Poehler movie is endlessly quotable. And you got, you know, got the limit does not exist. It was October 3rd. I think October 3rd is actually like a, a national holiday now because of the math term that she put in this. That's so fetch uh, the term that one of the girls who had the that Gretchen tried to make popular. And of course, Regina George, you know, doing the reverse psychology thing when she, Ask Katie if she's pretty. She's like, yeah, I think so. She's like, so you think you're pretty? And it's like, oh God, how do you answer that? You know, I mean, just that's an ultimate Hannibal Lecter psychological mind mess kind of stuff. And Regina George is one of the ultimate villains. It's great. So it's a universal movie. It's relatable to all ages, genders, whatever. I think everybody likes this movie. I don't. I don't think I've ever met anyone who doesn't like Mean Girls. And it's also one of the few great movies in this genre that had strong, well-formed female leads. Pretty much all of them. So love that. And that's my take on the high school movie genre. And, oh, I just realized, oh, man, I, I left Clueless out. And that's criminal and embarrassing. And Cher Horowitz deserves a podcast of her own. So I'll do an entire one on that film at some point down the road. But I guess I, I, I didn't think of it as a high school movie because everyone in that movie seems way more mature, way more college and their mannerisms, discussion topics, and kind of general outlooks on life. I mean, in Beverly Hills, I think everyone grows up a little bit quicker. So I think that's why I somehow forgot about it. Or I just forgot about it. And I'm just making excuses. So that's my way of sneaking out of it. Later.